Holy Father, we thank you for all your blessings. We thank you first and foremost for grace, because without your grace, we couldn't even approach you to sing praises to you. So thank you, Father, for your blessings. Bless the rest of this time. Bless these testimonies, and let your will be done in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is, we're going to have some testimonies coming up. Um, thank you, guys, by the way. Uh, but I wanted to start off with, with a scripture. Um, kind of the reason why, other than we're having a short service for the business meeting, the reason why we're doing this, and I wanted to read from First Chronicles 16, and I'm going to read 8 through 13. And it says this, O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of all his wonderful works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done. His wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant. You children of Jacob, his chosen ones. So again, we're going to hear from a few people. And this is to edify the church to see that God is moving within his people it's always encouraging because a lot of times we don't think about well is god really still at work is god still doing what he's been doing and so it's good to hear from people i'm i'm reading um since this is the hundredth anniversary of our movement i'm reading books by amy simple mcpherson and i read her testimony and one of the things that really caught me and really encouraged me was the story of when her husband robert died and they were in china and she had just had a baby, and she had five bucks to her name. And she's like, I need to get a coffin. I need to get a gravestone. I need to bury him. I only have five bucks to my name. I don't know what I'm going to do. And suddenly a nurse handed her a letter from someone in the United States. And she opened it up, and just money fell out of the envelope. And the letter said, we don't know what's happening. It was friends from in the United States. We don't know what's going on, but God told us to give you this money. Here's this money knew nothing about what was happening. So it's those things like that that are still encouraging and things. So that's what we're going to take time to do, and we're going to first and foremost have Kathy Warner come up, and she's going to give her testimony, and then we'll have a couple other people. So welcome, Kathy Warner. I have three adult children. Two are not completely sold out to the Lord, but they are believers in Jesus. My youngest was in his early years. He went to college, and he thought he got too smart for God. So I don't say I pray for him daily that he will come back to a full commitment to the Lord. But to at this point, I, I didn't say, I don't say a whole lot to him because he always has to say something intellectual to um to discount what, what I'm t telling him. So I don't share with him about the Lord very much. Well, 12 years ago, uh, he got quite heavy. He was married at the time with four children, and he was diagnosed with fatty liver disease, resulting in non-alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver. Later, soon after that, a couple of years after that, he, he got divorced. 
so he no longer had his wife overseeing his health issues. So of course, I am a mama bear, so I started badgering him about dealing with this disease. I now had gotten myself educated about it and learned it is eventually terminal. Several months ago, he, I, I kept asking him, several months ago I started uh, badgering him about, you really need to follow up on this because this is serious. And so he did go, uh, he lives up in uh, Olympia, Washington. He did go to a specialist and he had a very painful uh, biopsy, the same as he'd had 12 years before when it was diagnosed. And the doctor told him that he had, that he, that if he did nothing, his only, he only could expect at most of 15 years of life. And, and that really shook him up. And, and so anyway, he, uh, the doctor also told him there's a new medication that they were researching that they were calling a miracle drug that actually would reverse the cirrhosis of the liver. Um, but it hadn't been passed by the food and drug. So anyway, I started praying. I was praying for God to speed up the, the availability of that miracle drug. And of course I was praying for God to heal his fatty liver disease but truthfully, I had about a 95% thought that God would do that. For God to heal his liver disease, I really only prayed, but didn't expect that to happen. To make the new miracle drug, I pr number two, I prayed that God would make the new miracle drug available to him speedily in the future, and I prayed that he would be open to Jesus once again, which I have prayed for quite a few years. His liver doctor referred him to one of the top liver specialists in the country. He was in Seattle. And he, lined, he sent all of his records up to the, the, the specialist in Seattle and he, and he had a, a scheduled teleconference call with this doctor several weeks ago. He called me to tell me the good news. The specialist was sent all the records, including his biopsy. This is what he told my son. I looked over your report. I am really confused. I have never seen this before, nor have my colleagues. I cannot explain it, but you no longer have fatty liver disease. <laughs> Prayer answered. You still have cirrhosis of the liver, the doctor has, and the doc, this doctor has access to that medication in a research he is conducting so to hopefully reverse and heal the cirrhosis. 
And in fact, he is going to that doctor this next Monday to get started on this research study. So prayer number two answered. But when my son told me, and I've been very careful not to say much about the Lord because he always discounts everything I tell him that the Lord has done. So I've just been real closed mouth about the Lord. But when my son told me, he c I could not contain myself. I usually said very little but the about the Lord to him because of his uh, agnostic attitude. But when he told me that he had no longer had patty liver disease, I said, praise the Lord. Jesus healed your fatty liver disease. Third miracle. My son said, I know. <laughs> well, thank God. Well, that's one set of good news. Now we have another. Mr. Don Shell, would you like to come up and share what you'd like to share? Shocker, Rooney. Um, I want to testify today to everyone in this room that God has done great things in this church. The Word of God says that when you, it's, it's, I'm going to take this out of context, so sue me, because it's talking about speaking in tongues, and when the unbeliever hears the tongue, and then, and then they're, they're drawn to the Lord, and then they profess that the Lord is in you of an assurity. And so I, I, I want to just kind of focus on the second part of that verse as a principle that as we see God move in our midst, we can report that God is in you of an assurity. We don't have to question it. We don't have to take it on blind faith. I see your face. I know that God is in you of an assurity, Pastor Susan. I love you so much. You've done so much for me over the years. And Peter coming in. God bless you, Peter. Kenny and Deborah. God's very own elect officials to officiate meetings, to do things that are sometimes hard. And so when our dear senior pastors stepped down and it was it was a shock because nobody said anything until it happened. And then they brought our new senior pastors in that came in as a team, as a, as a man and wife, as one. Let me put it that way, as one. And they came in and they showed that spirit of God. And so I can profess that God is in them of an assurity, without a doubt, not on blind faith, not guessing. God has revealed it to me because I can see it. The children of God will be happy when they see you Because you're a child of God. That's how you can tell they're a child of God. They're happy to see you. I'm happy to see you. God bless you, Rob and Sue. 
Don and Kathy Warner. What a blessing, Stephen. Our, a blessing to our church, Lene, and, and her husband came, and she just took a place on the stage. Don Dickey. What a miracle of God. Talk about miracles. Um, I, I want to profess, Janice and Clark, that God is in you of an assurity. Dan and his family. Josh came in with his family. They blessed us. Lloyd has been a blessing to this congregation for years and years. What a blessing. And his Steadfast and true are you, holy ones of the Lord, chosen out from a dying world to be a blessing to a congregation for so many years. Valerie, God bless you. I love you so much. All of you, God loves you. He holds you dear. You are the blessed congregation of the Lord in the name of Jesus. I hope not. I have to start a whole new series of sermons after that. <laughs> I didn't tell him to do that, God. <laughs> All right, this last individual, I think I had a lapse in judgment to ask him to come up. <laughs> if he starts saying live long and prosper, just kick him out of here. But I've been emphasizing that we are one body. We just have a different address. And Josh Stem has been coming here to our church and helping us out with the worship team and the various things that we've been doing. And so it actually is begrudgingly my privilege to have another brother from another congregation come up and give a testimony. Please welcome Josh Stem. Thank you, Pastor. Morning, church. Uh, for those of you don't who, know, who don't know me, my name is Joshua Stem. I am the president for the Salt Lake City chapter of the Christian Motorcyclist Association. And yeah, we got a good representation of our, of our chapter membership here today. And when Pastor Michael texted me and, and, and said, hey, we would like you to come and give your testimony, first thing that came to my mind was, oh man, which Star Trek episode can I tie into my testimony? Because that would only be logical. <laughs> so, as, as I was praying about it this week on what, God, what, lay something on my heart. What, what, what would you have me present to this church, this church family here that we, we consider all y'all our church family. We love coming to this church, even though we have another church that we do regularly attend. And... As my wife says, I've lived a varied life, and I've had a, a few experiences growing up. I was raised in, in Alaska, and my parents decided to do foreign missions. So after, when I was 13, I was in my teenage years, we moved overseas uh, to Darkhan, Mongolia. It was the second largest city in the country of Mongolia, which is landlocked between Russia and China. And while living there, that was not the most pleasant years of my life growing up in Mongolia. Being landlocked between Russia and China, they are very dark-skinned, short, dark hair, dark eyes. And me and my brother and my father as blonde, 
long hair, very Pollock colored. We stood out just a little bit. And so the, the Mongolians would always assume that they didn't assume we were Americans, they assumed we were Russians. And they hate the Russians for the Soviet occupation of their country. And e even when we left, when I left, I left in about uh, the year 2002, even though the Soviet occupation had long since passed, you could see just the template of, of Soviet occupation on that country. It was very, still very visible in, in the way they thought, the way their government was, the way the people are. It was a very oppressive time for the Mongolian people. And so just they hated the Russians for that one fact. And so Russians were very, very rare in that country. And there would be many times where my brother and I, or me and my father, my mother, were walking down the street, and all of a sudden, bottles, rocks, anything that they can get their hands on are raining out of the buildings on us, and we'd have to flee for cover. There were many times, I remember, uh, we would go around with my brother, we would get, we would get assaulted, we'd get beat up, just because they assumed we were Russian. One of the first things my, my friends taught me was how to say, I am not a Russian, be orasundish. They, they, did, they were like, that's what a Russian would say, you know. <laughs> so it was, not a, it was not the easiest time growing up in, in Mongolia. But even so, once those people came to know us and come, they would start coming to the church, they realized, hey, you have something different. You have something about you that I want. What, what is that? And they would, get, they would be curious. They would start coming to church and, and, and listening to the message. And it was very difficult for me to reach many of my Mongolian friends. And, and talking to them, we would, I would discuss, why, why don't you want to be a Christian? And they would say, well, Josh, I, I really, I can see what's different about you, the joy that you have. There's something different. I don't grasp it. But to be Mongolian, that means I have to be Buddhist. Do you know what would happen, what my family would do to me if I went to your church and said, I'm a Christian? Do you know I wouldn't be able to go shopping? I wouldn't be able to go buy what I need. They would just, they would oust me from the community. I have to go to the Buddhist temple. And so they were, it was very hard to reach many of my friends, trying to get them to become to a place where they realize that this life is but a vapor on this planet. And then eternity is where we really need to have our eyes set. But we did have, we, there was a lot of success in Mongolia, and it came from being the body of Christ. And as the motto for the CMA, uh, the, the Christian Motorcyclist Association, is here if you need us, here when you need us. And there were many times in Mongolia where the church was there to reach out to help those people when nobody else would. There's outcasts even in that society that they have nowhere else to turn. I remember... One, one instance that stands out in my mind was their hospital system. We would have 
medical missionaries come to Mongolia. One of our one of our close family friends in Alaska, Dr. Perkins, he would come to he would come to Mongolia and and would go out to the hospitals there to try to teach the doctors different techniques, treat some patients. Um, and he would come home. He would come back to our apartment, and he would say, he'd go, the Mongolians, their medical technology, their medical advance, advancement is 50 years behind what the Eskimos had 100 years ago. They were literally, I remember when my mom, she was sick one time, and, and one of her friends came over and brought leeches for mom. And she brought leeches, and she goes, she goes, I brought these leeches, and, and I also brought, she goes, I brought some of my, my, I know your mother is not here in Mongolia with you, and to cure this illness, you need to drink some of your mother's urine. So I brought some of my mother's urine for you. So she was very, very sweet to offer that, but that was the kind of medical treatment that they had. And there was a family in the church who... Um, the whole family worked. There were no child labor laws in Mongolia. And so they had a, I think he was 10 or 11 years old at the time. And he worked in one of their threshing plants. And it was one of the, the grain machines that took the, the seed from the grain. And he got his hand caught in the machine. And he lost his skin from the elbow down to his fingers. And he was in the hospital, and the family didn't tell us about it. They were, they were ashamed to, ask, to have to ask for help. And in that culture, if you didn't bring the doctor a bribe, a bottle of wine, a nice meal, some money, you went to the bottom of the list that needed to be seen. And that family was very poor. And so that boy sat in that hospital room and sat and sat for days, and of course developed gangrene in his arm. And finally they came to us and they said, our son is in the hospital, this is his condition, he is going to die unless we have some sort of bribe to give the doctor so they'll treat him. So dad immediately went out and bought the nicest bottles of wine he could get, and we went to the hospital, I didn't even call it the hospital, I, I sarcastically called it the morgue. You didn't go to the hospital to get better there. You went to the hospital to die there. And so we brought these gifts for the doctor who graciously accepted, oh, thank you, these are great. I will operate right away. But that little boy lost his arm from right about there all the way down. And But the church was there for that family, once we finally knew what the situation was, there were, I could sit here and talk all day about the situations where the church stepped up to help families that were in need when nobody else cared. Nobody else cared. I've been inside the Buddhist temples. We had uh, a group that would come out, and uh, we were with the uh, Assemblies of God at the time, and they have a, a, an office dedicated to the kids of the missionaries. And they'll come out and they'll do videos and they'll put together videotapes and send them out to all the other missionary kids to show, this is what the missionary kids over here in this country are doing. This is what these kids are doing for fun. So one time we had 
that videographer following us around, and we were playing video games and doing all kinds of crazy stuff that we did as kids. And I remember we were, we were driving around Darhan. We pulled up next to this very large yurt, or ger, depending on where you're from, what you call it. And he goes, what's that? Dad goes, oh, that's the, that's the local Buddhist temple. That's the biggest Buddhist temple in the area. No! He got out of the car as we're stopped at the light. He gets out of the car and runs in, runs through the door with his camera. And I remember he said, whoa, 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 whoa. He's gone. There wasn't no stopping him. So we're standing there. He pulls over onto the shoulder. We're sitting there. Well, hope he's okay. Never been in the Buddhist temple before. I hope he's okay. He didn't come out. Five, ten minutes go by, and he goes, Josh, go make sure he's okay. Oh, but me? I don't know. What, okay. So I get out, and I go in there, and inside the Buddhist temple, it's just littered with these pictures. And there's monks in there who are showing him around. They've got, he's got his camera, and they're like, oh, look at that one. Come over here. Look at this one. And they're going on and on and on. I have no idea what they're saying. And those pictures of their deities, they're holding beheaded people. They've they got their feet on top of humans in victory. That's what they worship. That's what they have to hope for. And that type of, the type of bondage to that type of religion It is a stark opposite to the love and compassion that Christ offers, the salvation through Christ, and the love that as Christians we should show one another. They will know you by your love for one another. And it was through that demonstration of service to one another, that demonstration of love to the community, that's what drew people to the church. It wasn't Here's the message we have. Christ died for your sins, which is the greatest message of all time. But that's not what drew them in. The, the act of loving them, the act of serving them, the act of being there for them, not just talking the talk and saying, oh, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. You had to be there to prove it. And... Now, one more story, one more story. I have so many stories that I could tell, but I'll, I'll bring it back to something a little bit more uh, personal. When I was in Mongolia, um, do I have enough time to do one more? Okay. We had, they have, they have this uh, festival called Women and Children's Day. And my mom, my mom is a, a little bit of a dreamer. My dad and I were a little bit more realists. And she had this idea. She goes, we should, because we were, we were constantly sent stuff to use for the missions. And we had a lot of, um, Samaritan's Purse had sent us a 40-foot container full of boxes. And that was a lot of work. While it was very good, I don't know how many of those boxes we got in that 40-foot container. We ended up having, at first we just gave them out. And then we realized that a lot of people will include tubes of Elmer's glue or Irish spring soap. Uh, and I can't tell you 
I've, I've tried it. You take taffy, saltwater taffy, and you put it next to a, a bar of Irish spring soap, and it sits in a hot container for months and months and months. Boy, that's the stuff that when you say a bad word, that's what your mom feeds you to clean your mouth out. That candy is foul. But we would get these boxes, and we would give them out, and then they'd bring them back to us, and it, that jar of Elmer's glue had shattered in there, and those Barbie dolls and troll dolls and whatever's in there is one solid brick of Elmer's glue now. So we ended up having to go through the whole 40-foot container to pull out what was good and usable, and we could give away. So Mom said, let's take all these toys, and we'll take them out. I'll dress up as a clown, and I will take out, and we will give out these toys at the park for Women and Children's Day. And Dad and I said, that's a terrible idea. That's a bad idea. You have a great heart, Mom, but that's a bad idea. Even our translator, she was like, this is, this is not, you, this isn't going to go how you imagine it going in your mind, Debbie. But sh- mom, was, mom was dead set on doing this. This is going to be great. They're going to come up. We're going to give out a toy, and it's going to be great. Hi, honey, how you doing? Here, have a troll doll. Have a, have a this, that, and the other. You need some school supplies? Yes, here's pencils. Here's paper. It did not go like that at all. When we got there... And the car pulled in, and mom gets up on the car, and she's dressed as a a clown, and she's got the music playing. Once the Mongolians realized she was giving out stuff, that it turned into one car sitting in a big part of the park to a crowd rushing the car, trying to climb up. And I'm, mom had given me her camera, and I'm taking pictures of this event. There's one, there's two pictures. There's two pictures of the event because I was laughing so hard. I could not take any more photos. There's one picture of her on top of the car waving. And then the next picture is all you can see are bodies and there's toys flying through the air. (laughs) But they were so desperate to get something, people were driving their horses through the crowd trying to get close enough to get toys as she's scooping them up and just flinging them. we got to get rid of all these toys so they stop coming. It was absolute chaos. And I was over on the sideline dying laughing because I was like, I told you so. This is a bad idea. Eventually the cops had to come show up to get rid of the crowd and tend some of the some people that had actually been wounded by people driving their horses into the crowd and trampling them to get a there's there's one other image that somebody else took of these boys on their horses and he's holding a doll by the hair like what do I do with this like well you you trample three kids and an old lady to get it you know But during that day, I had helped load the car and everything that we needed, and I thought I had pulled a muscle. I kind of limped around all day, and I was like, man, I'm in a lot of pain today. I'm hurting. Went all day, and I was hurting, hurting, hurting. Finally, Mom's like, you you don't look normal. I was like, I never look normal, Mom. She's like, no, you're acting abnormal. Well, exactly. (laughs) So, but she started checking on me. She goes, I think you have appendicitis. I was like, I do not have appendicitis. I am not going to the morgue at all. So she's like, we'll go check. 
We, we went to, a, he was a, a guy from Sweden who was a nurse, um, but that, that was not what he did for his profession. He, he had some medical knowledge, and we went to go talk to him and see what his uh, opinion was. He's like, yep, you have appendicitis. I'm like, I'm going to die. Because there was a lot of times where we had many, many stories I could go into where they don't even have anesthetic to give their patients when they go through surgery. They strap them down, and they cut them open, and they do what needs to be done. I was like, I'd rather die than go through that. They ain't strapping me down to no table. Mom said, no, we're not going to do it here. We're going to go to the capital city, which was about a four- to six-hour drive away, depending on how many rocks and potholes were in the road. Um, they were in very bad shape. But we went to Ulaanbaatar, which was the capital city of Mongolia at the time. It still is. And we went to the Russian hospital. I looked like a Russian. We didn't go to the Mongolian hospital. So they let me in, and it's late at this time. It's like 1 a.m. Nurses are running around trying to find a doctor who's sober. And finally we get this doctor. Her name was Marina. And she was very Russian. So she comes in, and she starts checking me. You have acute appendicitis. Must operate immediately. I'm like, oh, this, this sucks. This is the worst day ever. And so they're trying to get a staff together. It's 2 a.m. they got to do this emergency surgery, and it's just taking forever. I'm, I feel like I'm dying. I'm not amused in the slightest. And I'm like, frankly, I was like, God, I mean, aren't you supposed to be taking care of me? We're over here doing your will, right? You wanted us here. You called the family here. Here I am, going to die in a Russian hospital in Ulaanbaatar. And I was less than happy. And so <laughs> I'll go ahead and go and tell that part of the story. Might as well. So they, uh, it, it is late, but there's still people, patients roaming around the hospital. And the doctor and the nurses, they go ahead and have me stripped down right there in the office. And they're like, get on this table metal steel table and it's in the middle of winter it's 32 degrees below zero outside I was freezing and they rolled me I was like wait wait where are you going with me I'm on this table buck naked and they start rolling me down the hallway and the patients are out of their room look at the naked American there you go it's weird weird day in Ulaanbaatar but anyways to make a long story short, they get me to the operating room, and I was, I was a teenager at the time. I didn't know the medical stuff. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what would knock me out. All I knew was that they strapped me down to that table with these thick leather straps, and I'm sitting there like, oh, no, you don't. This is not going to happen. They're not going to knock me out for this. I was losing my mind on that table. So when they put... The oxygen, what I knew, know now to be the oxygen mask over, over my face, I was like, ah, this must be gas, and it's going to knock me out. So I immediately turned into Darth Vader, <laughs> trying to get as much of that gas that I thought would knock me out into my system. I wanted to be gone. I did not want to be present in that moment. I was absolutely miserable. And so they take the mask away, and they're like, stop it. What are you doing? And they put the mask back on. 
and they take it away again, fine, you can't have it. Fine, you can't have it. So I'm losing my mind. And I remember very vividly this guy come over to me, very tall. I remember him being very tall. He had this big beard. He comes over to me, and he says a few words, and I'm like, don't know what you said. I don't know what you said. So finally, he says, which is, do you know Mongolian? And I was like, oh, I know some Mongolian. I do know a little Mongolian. So we started conversing in Mongolian. And he's like, hey, you're going to be okay. We're going to take care of you. But I need you to calm down just a little bit. We're going to give you an IV. We're going to get you out. You won't be present. You will be gone. And we will get you taken care of. And so I finally managed to calm down enough for them to give me an IV, and I was gone. And then there's another long story of the nightmarish recovery. But I told mom that story after I had come to enough to, she wanted to know what had happened to her baby. Did they knock you out? They better have knocked you out, because otherwise I'm going to knock some people out. So she wanted to know the whole story. I told it to her, especially about the one guy who had big old beard, really tall guy, and he calmed me down and everything was good through the surgery. So she went out and found the doctor and said, hey, I wanted to thank you for what you did for my son the other day, for the surgery and everything, but he, he really wants to meet the one nurse that calmed him down. She goes, okay, well, tell me, what did this nurse look like? And she goes, well, well, he was very tall, he had a big beard, a big reddish beard is what he describes him as. And the doctor goes, what are, you, what are you talking about? She goes, there was only one man in that room that day, and he doesn't have a beard. So I hands down believe God, his angels were watching over me that day. Even though I was freaking out, God was there in that room. And uh, there's so many stories I can tell of the power that God has to change lives very tangibly on this planet. It's not some anomalous creature force, the force in space that you can use. His love is real and oftentimes is used through us. We are used by God to share the love to the others, to draw them to him. Amen? Okay. Thank you. You, you ain't got to say the force like that, though. <laughs> well, we're going to have the worship team come up. We're going to pray and end this portion um, for the, the members of the church. And even if you're not a member, please stick around. We're going to have our annual business meeting. We're going to have the worship team come and, and take down the things they need to. But we're going to have a couple of people put up some tables and chairs. So please stick around. But God still works today. I mean, we can hear things like that. If God can work in a Trekkie and save his life, then God is good all the time, everywhere. God is still working to this day. That is the big thing about, like, the four-square movement. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Those miracles happened yesterday. They're happening today, and they will happen forever because God never changes. Amen? Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for these testimonies. We thank you, Father, that you are still in work in people's lives. We thank you, Father, for your miracles, for your love, for your grace. 
We thank you for impossible situations because you work through impossible situations to let people know who you are. So we give all praise, glory, and honor to you because everything that we've said, everything that we've done is for you and for your glory. And we thank you, Father, for your miracle work. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Thank you, God.